Hello, this is Joshua Wold calling from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and I have my co-host here, Reynard, uh, and I'll let you say your last name so I don't get it wrong this time. It's Korf. So, Reynard Korf, and I'm all the way from Horsham, Australia. And uh, this is our Remotely Thoughtful Podcast, Episode 3. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the tools that we use, hardware, software, maybe some other things. Um, And as we continue our series of just kind of talking about some of the things we do for our habits, for our goals, for our productivity, this we we got to chat and we felt uh, this fits well within all of that, some of the things we've learned to love and use. Yeah, so it's a bit of a bonus episode and we, we may get a bit excited and it may run a bit over, over time uh, if you compare it to the last few episodes. Perfect. And uh, before we go on, we do have a correction to make from our last uh, or two podcasts ago. We had mentioned uh, the one push-up a day mini habit, and we couldn't remember who uh, was the person who came up with that. And when we went back and checked, that was Matt Mullenweg uh, from Automatic.com. That was his uh, suggestion for the Tools of Titans book. And we really should have known better, seeing that we are in the WordPress space. So we do apologize, (laughs) Matt. Perfect. Um, and then uh, one other item, uh, Reynard, you've been working on getting something set up for this podcast. Do you want to share about that? Yeah, so we now have our official podcast feed. So if you head over to remotelythoughtful.com, you will get our podcast website and you should be able to subscribe to the feed there. Um, there's a few uh, subscription links there. So there's the the one for for iTunes, there is the one there for Overcast, and there's another service that I put up there. But it should be relatively easy to now subscribe to our podcast. And if anyone has any problems, let us know. Um, Awesome. Well, jumping right in, we spent some time with a doc just kind of writing out a lot of the different tools we use. Um, And when we got to the end, we realized there's no way we could talk about all of it. So we limited ourselves, uh, we're not sure if we can stick to this, but uh, to 10 of our favorite things each, and we've highlighted that, and we'll, we're going to jump around and just chat about them. Um, so with that said, Reynard, do you have one you want to start on first? I was thinking about this, and um, how, how can I start without talking about passwords? Um, that's, a, that's a good place, yes. Yeah, so uh, you know, we, we use a lot of passwords in our daily lives for different services and um, even for clients. And for me, that means that I need to be able to manage all my passwords. And I know a lot of people know about this tool and a lot of people probably use this tool, but I'm definitely going to say that 1Password is a tool that I absolutely can't live without. Uh, so just to, for a little bit of clarification, if you haven't used a password tool before, what does that look like? How is that different than just memorizing passwords? What's the basic process behind that? Okay, so... you. The the basics is that you should never use the same password for multiple different services. And I know that if you don't have a good password strategy in place, that is what you are going to default to because it's easier yep. to remember one password than it is going to be to remember multiple passwords. And, so, and to add on to that, you, you also shouldn't just have a slightly different variation for each service because that can be figured out as well. That's right. So if you have um, the, the same password, but you just alter a few things for every service, that's it doesn't really make it a, um, a secure password. So w- with that in place, I you know the, the premise of the, the tool, I guess one password comes from the fact that, well, most people like to remember just one password. So they thought, well, they'll give you a way so you can remember one password and then let the app actually take care of the rest for you. So rather than having a little notebook on the side, and um, a physical notebook on the side, and writing down the name of all of your services and trying to write reminders or even plain, uh, plain passwords <laughs> down in your little notebook, uh, 1Password is a little bit more secure um, because it encrypts all of your pass- passwords for you. And you don't have to worry about that falling into um, the hands of anyone that you don't want it to fall into. My wife and I have been using 1Password, I think, for four or five years now. And it works really well for us. We we both have memorized this single password that's very long that um, we came up with. And that's all she has to know how to remember if she wants to pull up one of our bank accounts um, one of our email accounts, et cetera. She knows that once she opens it up and she can then 
automatically have it uh, put the password in on the website or she can copy paste. And that's worked really well for the both of us since we have hundreds and hundreds of websites now that we ha- are, have services with. Yeah, so the uh, just to clarify then how 1Password works, is it, it's not the 1Password then that gets used for multiple different sites. It's, the, it's your master password that gets you into the app, but the app stores all of your passwords inside it. And it does a, a lot of uh, really cool things where it will tell you that, hey, you're due to change your password, or mm-hmm. it will um, it, it will tell you when you have uh, duplicate passwords. So there's a few fun things that you can, can do with the app that will help make your life a little bit more secure. And for myself, I'll make the password as long as a given website will allow me. I, I do get very frustrated with some websites that will only let you put in 10 to 11 characters, you have to have a symbol, you gotta have a number at the beginning, just these ridiculous constraints that are unnecessary, but <laughs> I'll put in the most complex password that a website does allow, um, and I don't even bother trying to remember that since it's stored in one password. That's right, one, one password even has a, a little um, generator, so if you can't think of a password, you just hit the generate button, it will generate the password for you, use it on the site, and then that becomes your password. Um, one other thing I want to touch on with this is um, I've recommended to friends in the past my strategy for creating that one password, and, and you may have another one that you would want to share, um, but I'll, I'll tell them, think of two nouns and two verbs, put them together, and that's a long password. So let's see, uh, fat chickens chase leopards. There, there's a password right there. Um, and it, that's a whole phrase that you could type out. It's very long. There's um, a lot of complexity to it but it's also relatively easy to remember. Uh, there's a uh, comic from XKCD where he actually uses that exact example, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, and, and, and I love that comic strip. I mean, it's, it's been around for, for a while, but um, the, the interesting premise of that, that strip is, is it says that, well, we've made passwords easier for computers to guess, but harder for yes. humans to remember, where really it should be easy for humans to remember, but harder for computers to guess. So it, it's it's a it's a really uh, funny strip, but it's also full of uh, full of valuable information on how you could construct your passwords. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to touch on on this topic before we jump ahead? Um, I, I think just a little uh, funny story that I have is that um, I, I used to be into cipher. Um, so that uh, what do you call it? The art of encrypting messages and things. Um, when yeah. I was in in high school, and one of my favorite ciphers that I picked up was the Skytail cipher, um, and it's effectively one where you wrap a wrap a piece of paper around a cylindrical object, and then you write your password on it. And then when you unwrap it, then you've got your your ciphered password. So um, it's not easy to guess. And the only way that you can then uncipher it is if you were to wrap it around the same cylindrical object and know where to start reading from. So um, based on, on that cipher, I ended up for a while with my master password. I used that cipher and that um, I took a piece of paper, wrapped it around a cylindrical object, wrote down my master password and then cut it into pieces and put it in different places of the house. So if I ever forgot my password, I could reconstruct it. Um, it's a little bit easier now to remember my password, so I don't actually use that strategy anymore. But uh, yeah, that's just a funny aside. I love that. Um, if uh, <laughs> It would be pretty bad. If you forget your master password, you are locked out of the app forever. So having some way to have a backup of that, at least for a while, that's, that's important. Yep. So I, I won't let that... Uh, yeah, I'm not using that anymore, but it, it, it was fun <laughs> when I initially did do that. The one thing also to note is that we are talking about long passwords and guessable passwords, etc. Um, don't tell people how long your password is because if, mm. if people know how long your password is, they know that they can skip guessing the first few characters and they know exactly it, it limits their search for trying to guess your password or running a script to guess your password. So never tell anyone how long your password is. That's a great point. If you always do exactly 50 characters, that's a limitation. Yep. Yeah. Um, excellent. Well, I'll jump on to one of the other items that I want to chat about. Um, for years, I've used lots of different task management pieces of software and um, analog stuff. So I mean, basically to-do lists. <laughs> I've uh, done different things on paper where you know, 
in a given day for my personal life and my work life, I need to write down things to remember. Um, and I've gone through tons of different software. What I'm currently using, and this could totally change in six months or a year, but I, I've been quite happy with it for the past three months, is uh, Things 3, which is just a beautiful little app that I can have on my uh, mobile and desktop devices. It lets me have different projects, let me have lists, and uh, ba my whole life is basically in there for anything today, the next week, the next month, my calendar events. That's that's where I put anything I have to remember. Um, and it, since I've been doing this in the last couple of years, it's made a big difference for actually remembering things and getting things done. Uh, what's been your experience been in task management? Well, I just have to say that I'm uh, before I talk about mine. You used to be a big advocate of OmniFocus, and you've yes. obviously recently changed to Things 3. Um, is, was there a particular reason you did your change? I saw, I'd used OmniFocus, and we talked about that. Actually, we had a, a meeting about this a couple months ago. I'd used OmniFocus for maybe a year, year and a half at that point, and uh, I, I tend to gravitate towards shiny things. So I saw the new release of Things 3, an entire overhaul, and I figured, let me just try it, see if I like it. And some the design was very well thought out they've done some things that just make it feel pleasant to use yeah. not that i have a problem with omnifocus but there was a few aspects of it that i really like right so it, it, it was more a bit of a shiny thing syndrome yes okay no that, that that's that's fine um i've used omnifocus for for some time as well um i've I've used it, kind of gravitated away from it. I've come back to it, and it's 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 like my trusty friend that I have a relationship with every once in a while. Um, at the moment, having a new baby in the house, that everything's kind of blown out of the the water. <laughs> so I'm not um, very good with um, managing my tasks in a task manager at the moment. Everything for me now is a bit more analog. So I've got my notebook, and I write a whole lot of stuff down in that. And I'm also using um, Slack reminders. I'm asking the Slack bot to remind me of things. So oh yes, that, that, that that's 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 a bit my my strategy at the moment. But I'm pretty sure that as life starts to settle down again, I, I will probably gravitate back to OmniFocus, um, or I might give something something else a try. Um, but in the past, I've um, worked with uh, clients, and we've we've used another tool called Asana. Um, mm, yep. there, there's, it's it's a bit hit and miss. It's a fantastic tool for um, managing to dos across teams, but it also has a few a few flaws in there. But it's 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 a good tool for teams. Have you used the new version of Asana they launched? I think earlier this year. I have not. No. So I um, I, I should actually try that. That actually changed my whole perspective on the app. Really great refresh. So I'd be curious your thoughts if if, if you do get to take a look at that. Yeah, no, it sounds um, good. So that was things three was one of my recommendations. Uh, feel free to pick one, and we'll chat about one of yours. Okay. So the the next thing that we do a lot, well, actually not so much anymore, but um, email is a very big part of all of our lives. And for me, I've um, always had a Gmail account. Um, mm. I've got a personal um, Google Apps account, and um, then obviously we've got work Google Apps accounts as well. And it's it's always been tricky for me to manage my mail across multiple different accounts. So in in the past, I've used Mailplane and I've uh, enjoyed using Mailplane, but recently, um, as of last year, I, I tried Airmail, um, and so so I'm on I'm on a Mac and Airmail is is a Mac app, and it it just has a much simpler interface for managing your your email and and I really enjoyed trying out the the beta and I tried that for a while and then uh went to the the full version a little bit earlier this year and it's it's a fantastic app for managing multiple um Gmail accounts and I don't think I will very easily use another tool for managing my email I I'm actually curious because I've used both uh, Mailplane and Airmail um, and I like the layout and simplicity of airmail better. Um, but, and we weren't really planning on talking about this today, but do you, what do you use for your calendar? That was ma the main draw for me. Mailplane allows you to have your calendar and your email in the same app. Yes. And, and that's probably why I switched away from Mailplane because I, I like to have my, my email completely isolated. So mm -hmm. for my calendar, I'm, I'm just using, um, Google calendar insights, Chrome. 
Okay, yep, that, that's where I've landed as well now. Yeah. And the main reason being uh, Google Hangout invites are really hard to get access to unless you're in a Google-approved app. Yeah. That, Excellent. That, that, pretty, that pretty much boils it down to why I'm using it inside Chrome. I have uh, one of our coworkers here at XWP. He found a script, and I've seen this as well, that auto-generates in the description of another app every few minutes um, the link to a Google Hangout, but I could not get it to work. So I've All gone right. back to Well, uh, <laughs> one thing that I've done is I've actually integrated my um, Google Calendar inside a, a private Slack organization. And then that would will remind me of uh, calendar changes and things like that. And it actually contains the Hangout links. So oh, nice. it, it, it's okay for just saying, hey, something on your calendar has changed, but I don't actually use it for for seeing what is coming up it's just okay yep. there's a there's a notification and and i should probably check it out later and actually just to jump back to that for things three i have it pulled in my calendar events so i can see my to-dos and calendar events today and then i just go in chrome to google calendar if i need to pull up a hangout yeah that's cool um yeah so i'll jump to another one this uh, so there's lots of things we could talk about, but this one's interesting to me i've used a service called CloudUp from automatic.com uh, where on my computer, if I'm in a meeting or if I'm I see something on the internet that or on my computer that I want to take a screenshot of, I take a screenshot on my Mac, and this little app will automatically grab it and upload it to their server and put a URL in my copy paste, so I can then paste a screenshot within about a second to any document or chat program I'm, I'm using. Um, so I've been using that for about the last year and I love it. It works so well. If I'm taking notes, I can see a screenshot, grab it, and then paste the URL. The challenge I've been running into is something about my Mac configuration seems to be causing it to error out more often than not. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's wrong there and I might have to use another solution, but uh, for it's an it's a app that I really love. Yeah, so um, take, taking screenshots, um, I've seen a lot of... Um, people in our company actually use CloudUp now and so I see a lot of CloudUp links. Um, I, I'm probably a little bit more old school on this. I, I, I would use the Apple shortcuts and then I would paste it inside Skitch, um, so mm. a, a tool by Evernote and then I would do my annotations etc using Skitch and then I would drag and drop it into into our communications. So the the drawback of that is, is that I don't end up with a nice shareable link like you would with mm. CloudUp, but I have quick access to annotate and then drop it into a conversation. Yeah, um, I, I've noticed Dropbox is also trying to pick up on this game, so I'd be curious a year from now what I'm using. Um, I, I've played with Skitch a little bit as well, and if I need to take annotations, then the process is a little bit different. Mm. Um, well, your turn. What, what else would you like to touch on? Cool. Um, wow, so much. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit more hardware now, maybe. Um, one of the One of the things that I do um, at home is I make use of a standing desk. So the standing desk is one of my my tools of choice in my office. And um, to be honest, a lot of my work and most of the time when I do work, I'm actually standing. And the, the desk, is it's quite a nice desk. I can move it up and I can move it down. Um, I don't actually know if it is a branded desk. It's just a desk that's that's been sold in one of the the depot stores here in Australia, and and I, I picked it up um, for quite cheap. It's motorized, so I can just move my desk up and down, and and that that's one of my my tools of choice. For that standing desk, um, this is, I've been interested in this for years. What percentage of your day would you say is sitting versus standing? Um, sitting. It depends on what kind of a week I have, uh, but <laughs> generally I'd be standing. So I'd say that uh, sitting probably fifteen to twenty percent of my week is sitting. Wow, that's that's not very much. That's, that's it, pretty cool. It's not a lot. So I, I generally start my morning standing up, and then as the day progresses, uh, you know, I, I hit my th my three p.m. lull, and then I'd probably sit down. Um, mm. Depending if I'm going into a meeting, if I'm going into a meeting, I'll probably keep standing because that'll just uh, keep me awake and alert a bit more. 
See, that's the problem I've run into when I've done standing desk before. It's been locked in the standing position. So if I come in to work, maybe a little tired because a kid kept me up in the middle of the night, it's a little harder to uh, stand all day. So I think that's being able to switch it easily with the push of a button back and forth is really nice. Yeah, and, and, I, and I like that about um, having the whole desk being movable rather than just having a, a, a kickstand or something for my laptop that mm. I move up and down. Yes. Um, actually, so I'll jump to one of my other recommendations that kind of touches on this. Uh, for years, I, well, I've gone back and forth between, you know, multi-monitor setups, single monitor setups, et cetera. Um, and more recently, I've switched to just using a single laptop for everything. The problem, though, is if you're using a laptop on a desk by itself, there are some major issues with ergonomics, with your wrist, with your neck strain, you're looking down. Mm. Uh, so uh, one of my recommendations that I really like is a stand that lifts your laptop off the desk anywhere from 5 to 11 inches. That way you're looking head on to your screen and then you get a separate keyboard and mouse. Uh, so the stand that I like is called it's called the roststand.com and it full folds up really compact so you can throw in a backpack. That's the main reason I like because of being able to carry it around wherever I go. Yeah, it's cool. So that, yeah. that's, that's actually a, a nice segue then maybe into my, my next favorite tool. Yeah. Um, so having a, a keyboard separate from my laptop um, is, you know, it's very important to me. And I've been using this little Logitech K760 for years now. And it's it's a it's a a solar powered um, keyboard, so um, solar powered is probably not the the right term for it. Is it photovoltaic or something something along those lines? So it effectively takes any light source and converts it into storable energy. Kind of like those the way calculators used to, right? Exactly, like like our calculators work, and um, then it, it's got three Bluetooth. Bluetooth channels on it so I can pair it with three different Bluetooth devices and nice. and it's just it's it's a really handy tool that that I use it's it's quite an old keyboard now um I'm surprised that there are not more keyboards out there that that uses this this charging mechanism um I don't, I just don't know how how I would go without it. it it's nice not to ever think about having to change batteries how useful do you find it is to switch Bluetooth inputs, or do you not worry about that too often? It's it's not that hard. Um, it's it's not a a tool I would probably use as often. I used to use an iPad quite a lot, and it was yep. nice to quickly uh, hit Bluetooth to and then switch to using the keyboard with the iPad. Um, I don't use an iPad as much anymore, so I now primarily just use my my laptop. So I hardly ever push those Bluetooth buttons now. And actually, on that point, do you only use a laptop screen or do you do multi-monitor? I do do multi-monitor. So I've got a 4K monitor, so 28-inch 4K monitor in, right in front of me. And to the right, I've got a full HD 27-inch monitor and then my um, Mac sitting on the little stand towards the left. So I do a three-monitor setup. Nice. Um, with So this my... I've had different thoughts on multi-monitor versus single monitor for a while. Um, do you find that you have distractions from multi-monitor or is it mainly because of the development you do, you really want to have you know, the code up and then the, the preview up? What's the main thought behind that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good, good question because multi-monitor can be quite distracting. So for the most part, the laptops on, on either side of my primary, sorry, the monitors on either side of my primary monitor is blank. There's usually nothing mm. on it except a nice landscape. So other than that, there's nothing on it. And and as I go through my day, and sometimes when I hop into into meetings, um, I will have my meeting participants in front of me. But if we're working through a doc, or I have to look at code, I will push that off to the side, and I can read a doc while still um, seeing the participants. Um, yep. So. Th that's mostly how I use it. Um, sometimes if I have to compare code, so because I'm doing a lot of programming, I might have to run a a div and to see what has changed in the code. So I can have my code editor open and then have a, another tool that I'll use. And I think I've mentioned this one somewhere. I like to use a tool called Kaleidoscope as my div tool. 
So I can um, do my div, push kaleidoscope to the side, and I can do uh, almost a four-column compare. So I've got the, the actual code in front of me in my editor. Then I've got my, my div tool open that shows the the remote version, my local version, and a consolidated version in the middle. So I can kind of see all of the code and see whether or not it is what I need it to be. So um, in, in, in that sense, I really like using the multi-monitor setup. And uh, just to make sure I'm understanding properly, uh, the div tool, it's basically to see changes that have happened in code. Is that the main benefit? Yeah, so if, if I'm gonna be um, pushing changes to code, I want to see if there's going to be conflicts or if I'm going to, uh, if I pull in changes for, um, that another developer might have made before I, um, before I check out that, that particular branch of code, I will just do a quick compare to see whether or not it's going to cause any conflicts. So there, there's, there's different reasons for me looking at um, differences between code. Um, while I'm talking about that and Kaleidoscope, what I like about Kaleidoscope too is it will not just detect changes in code or in text files, it can actually cha detect changes in images as well. So if you had um, multiple versions of the same image, you can use Kaleidoscope to actually see what has changed in that image. So it's it's handy if you, you know, something has a color change to it or um, a few pixel, pixels have moved around, you can even compare that and have a, um, a before and after type of div. So, and you know, we're getting a little bit into development here, but oh, yeah, I have another, oh, no, I have a question on that. So that, no, that's great. Um, if I were to hand you a design as a designer and I've made some changes and forgot to tell you what they all are, would that help you pick up on the assets saying, oh, this picture has is a little bit different? More or less if it's the same, like if it, obviously if it's the same resolution and it's the same file name and you've just um, updated the version, then yes, I'd be able to to compare the two images and see that there are differences. That's really nice uh, because when I'm doing website designs, often even after I've called something done, I still go back and tweak it, but it, sometimes I forget to tell the developer. So that, that's really pretty cool that might pick up on that. Yeah, it, it can pick up on that if you make that part of your workflow. It's not something that's part of my workflow, but it is something that that, that Kaleidoscope can do. Nice. Um, so part of my recent workflow since December is um, I've got my laptop, but I also got an iPad Pro. Um, and I've seen some people who they've made that their primary machine with actually quite a bit of success. Um, I currently cannot do that just because of the way I work as a designer. Um, but I've used the iPad Pro quite well for doing a lot of sketching and wireframes. And I've, I've tried out most of the apps just about every app related to sketching or designing, and I really like the Paper 53 app. Um, have you played with that one before? I, I have. Um, so my, in, in a former lifetime, I was a, a teacher, and I like to do a lot of annotations on, on an electronic whiteboard, and I had my iPad hooked up to uh, an Apple TV, so that would be projected mm. on the board, and Sketch w was my tool of choice for making quick... Um, sketches and doing my whiteboard drawings and then after that I could uh, email the notes out to the student but it's a it's a very elegant app and I've, I've used it since version one that's awesome um, yeah I've I've played with a bunch of them and there's some pretty cool apps out there so throughout the day as I'm working on tickets um, maybe just trying to design the start of a website or just uh, sharing thoughts on where a development ticket could go I often have my iPad right here and I'm drawing along and doing stuff with it. Um, and just this past week, I bought a stand for it. I, my wife noticed I have a lot of stands because I keep trying different things. <laughs> it's called, it's from Elevation Lab and it lets me put my iPad at three different angles and it's very heavy. The stand, if I'm holding it right now, weighs about maybe seven or eight pounds, um, which means it feels sturdy. It doesn't feel like I can shake or move it around. So I really like that. I've got it right next to my laptop and. I'll often be sketching or taking notes during meetings or when I'm thinking about stuff. Awesome. Um, excellent. So what is something else that uh, you would like to touch on? Otherwise, we, we can go over the miscellaneous section. We both tagged some items in there. We thought were pretty cool. Yeah, we, we could go to miscellaneous in a minute. I think the other thing um, that I use a lot and that I like seeing, um, particularly now that it's part of uh, normal coding workflows anyway, is um, the the I'm not sure how I would describe it, 
but a mm-hmm. way of writing text that makes it useful. And there's a, um, a, a format for this called Markdown. So Markdown is uh, definitely something that is part of uh, a lot of my workflows. And essentially, it's just a way to to write text, but also be quite descriptive about what the text is. So um, what would be some examples of descriptive? So, so you might indicate that a, a part of text is a heading. So you might just put a mm. hash symbol in front of it and say, hey, this is actually a heading. And as you continue to write and you have any subheadings, you know, a heading level two would be a hash hash and then the, the, the um, whatever your heading is. And you can, you know, do that until you have six hashes in a row, which would, you know, six levels deep. But then it also allows you to quickly um, make um, text bold by putting asterisks around it or make it italicized by putting underscores on either side of it or strike through by putting little tildes around it. So it's just a, a way of of editing um, your, your text and making it a little bit descriptive. But the the handy part of that is is that now that becomes... Um, a format that can be transformed into into other things, and typically that would mean that well, let's take my Markdown text and turn it into HTML for a nicer presentation. And with uh, a lot of the coding tools we now use, they support uh, Markdown or a flavor of Markdown. Um, for example, uh, GitHub is a tool that we use quite often. And if we structure our our README files with Markdown, then GitHub will automatically convert our Markdown in and present it nicely on the GitHub website. So, um, you know, that that's that, that's an example of, of how Markdown is useful for me on a daily basis. Um, I, um, just to jump in there, I um, <laughs> tried learning Markdown for years and making it part of my regular process. And it wasn't until I bought this little editor for the Mac called Bear, like, you know, a, a brown grizzly bear. Um, that as you write down Markdown, it will show you the formatting and it's got a really nice little cheat sheet that you can pop open to see. Um, and I've been using that for, I think maybe six months or a year now. And I, I agree, if, if I'm writing in an app and it doesn't have Markdown, I get really frustrated because it's so nice to quickly add a bold or um, make a headline or a bullet point. Um, I, I really like it. Cool, so so Bear is the app? Yep, uh, Bear and I don't know what all operating systems it's available on. I use it on my Mac and my iPhone. Okay. Um, and yeah, Markdown, I see you're making a note there that was originally created by John Gruber from Daring Fireball, a great little um, uh, blog that I read every day. <laughs> um, and I yeah, I like Markdown a lot. I came from HTML originally, and this is a nice way of being able to quickly format text as you go along. Yeah, without having to remem- remember different tags. Yep. Um, so my the tools that I use for Markdown would probably be um, Byword is a tool is a is a little app that's available on the iPad and on Macs, and it's it's nice single focused editing um, for whatever document you're you're working on. I I quite enjoy that as a just a general I quickly need to write something down type of app, but I also mm-hmm. have um, Markdown integrated into my development tools, so I can write in Markdown and hit a shortcut key, and it will bring up a um, a preview of what that would look like rendered in HTML. That's awesome. Um, so when you're writing code, do you often write it in Mark? If it's front end code, do you write it in Markdown more often than in HTML, and then convert it? Uh, no, I don't do that. So it's it's okay. generally just <laughs> no. Um, no, that it's it's that's an interesting workflow. I don't think I would ever do that, but it it could work for someone. Um, no, I generally just use it f- when I'm when I write documentation. So whenever I have to write documentation, I will use Markdown. Um, before we, so another topic I want to jump into is design software. Obviously, can get really complex, but um, I've got when I first started, before I even got a job doing this, I designed. In a Macromedia Flash 4 back in the day, um, and I would draw different vector apps and like create little animated characters. Uh, then I started using Adobe Illustrator, and um, I have both. I've um, used it 12, 13, quite a few years now. So I've used Illustrator for so long that it's my default app anytime I want to create something new. Um, but as you and I were talking about it, we both use a lot of different stuff, and we see some great apps coming out of the company called Serif. 
Um, and do you want to kind of touch on your experience with that so far? Um, I, I might get to Seraph in a bit, but I, I have a similar um, similar history with uh, creating artwork. Like I, I've always used. Uh, actually, I came from PaintShop Pro to fo- mm. to Photoshop. And then um, when I started getting interested in vectors, I used to do all of my vectors in inside Flash. Um, yep. So and what what was really cool is um, I forgot the guy's name now, and I apologize for that. But he runs a website called Cartoon Smart, and and he has a lot of really cool tutorials on on how you can use Flash to draw vector art, and. And I, I loved his shortcuts and things so much that, that I would always start an illustration inside Flash and then I would bring the illustration inside <laughs> Illustrator and then um, tweak it a bit and, and clean it up just because it was such a quick workflow inside Flash. Um, but then, you know, since the Macromedia and Adobe merger years ago, they've slowly started bringing some of those things into Illustrator and I think it was um, last year I saw a release that finally let me just gr- grab the edge of a line and I'm able to to bend it into a curve. And and once I could do that, I was thinking, man, that that that's it for me. I you know I I haven't used Flash for a long time, but if I was still using Flash, that would be the the pivotal thing that would have made me switch. Um, I I am. Um... I just got to jump in here because that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, so <clears throat> I used Flash and. Th- and if you haven't used these programs before, what he's talking about is if you draw a straight line in Flash, you can then pick a tool that lets you click on that line and drag it around and make it into beautiful curves. So if you're trying to draw, let's say, the shape of a head, you could draw some crazy little straight lines and then you could match them out into beautiful little curves. And I, as soon as I realized the power of that for drawing illustrations, I was so stuck on Flash that it took me a long time to get comfortable with Illustrator. And it sounds like you have the same issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I just couldn't use Illustrator because of that that missing feature. And I, you know, I actually, there, it, there was a third party that they made a plugin for Illustrator about maybe eight years ago that I bought to, to be able to replicate that. And and it's it's part of Illustrator now. So um, yes. So so now we're, we're you know now that we're both happy with Illustrator and Illustrator is <laughs> is kind of our, our default tool that we jump to before we design anything. Um, we're both in a process of trying to think that we might switch, and like you said, um, we, we've both both of us have seen Affinity Designer. I've played with it a little bit with the um, trial version, and I am I'm absolutely wrapped with it. And I think yes. that um, you know, um, sorry Adobe, but once my my membership runs out, um, I, I'm I. Th- think i'm going to bite the bullet i'm going to switch over to affinity designer and uh, affinity photo i i'm really interested in trying that as well by the way just a quick thing the cartoon smart guy's name was justin i don't yes. know his last name yes, but, yes. but i found the first name yes um thank you with oh yeah um with this affinity designer so this is the challenge that we kind of come into in this industry and really anyone who uses software you get used to a thing and then it might become outdated for how you use things, but you stick onto it maybe longer than you should and you don't go on to the new thing. Um, new is not always good, I will say that. Yes. But I'm, I'm seeing some benefits from Affinity Designer that I don't want to lock myself in to Illustrator if there's if this other tool can do something better in certain situations. Um, I Yeah, so, so I'll try this out. I see they're working on a app for the iPad Pro, which will be a desktop class graphic design software and if they do that and if i like it i probably would switch completely yeah i think i'm gonna to have to take it you know try two different projects and actually compare which tool i like using more yes and I, i've tried sketch which is a great tool um I, I see a lot of people using it but it's more for designing a website than doing graphic design and that's where i keep going back to illustrator so yeah this is a kind of a fun area to see what happens over the next couple of years yeah, and and I see that you you've got Pixelmator on your list. So yes, have you made the switch from Photoshop to Pixelmator? I do. I let my um, it's subscription for Photoshop expire, but not Illustrator. <laughs> yeah, and I just I use Pixelmator anytime I need to just edit photos, and I see they're working on a new version that is designed around the Mac. It's not this weird little toolbar thing that drives me nuts. It's a completely over, a complete overhaul of the interface. So I'm really curious to see what happens there. Um, 
I'd but be yeah, very I, interested in that too because that's actually one yes. of the reasons I couldn't stick with Pixelmator. Um, yep. the, the interface just didn't feel nice nice enough to me. Um, I know that they, they introduced this, this this strange little editing mode called Vectormator. Like if you hit a few c- c- command keys and you can do some vector editing. But it just... It, I I don't feel for me that Pixelmator is a, is is the tool to use, but I would be very curious to see what happens in the new version. And yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching that space. And the fact was, it was thirty bucks, and it does what I need to to edit it, and manipulate photos. Um, it is interesting when you meet someone who came from a vector background versus someone who came from a Photoshop raster background. This is a little bit of tech speak here, but. Um, <laughs> There's definitely, you think differently when you go to design something. And that's, Illustrator ultimately really handled that well. Yes. And um, yeah, curious to see how I like Affinity Designer. I bought their handy workbook, which that's actually how I got started with Illustrator. I bought some big books and just read through every part of them. Um, and I'm going to probably do the same with Affinity. Cool. Um, excellent. Right. Well, in, in the interest of on that. Yeah, in the interest of time, shall we um, you know, maybe... Uh, unless there's a, a key other area that you want to look at, maybe start hitting some of our miscellaneous. Yeah, let's go to miscellaneous. That'd be perfect. Um, I will touch on the first one, and I noticed that you used it as well. Uh, it's a little app called SIP, S-I-P. Um, and I've actually, it's a color picker app, and I've used tons of them, and I probably 15 different ones trying to find one that works. And the basic reason is when you're designing anything or if you're writing code, you often have to pick colors. And on the internet, the colors are represented in a couple of different ways, but primarily through a six uh, digit letter slash number combination, we call it a hexadecimal code. And to give an example, pure black is zero, 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 six zeros. Um, And then all the way to white is six Fs. So as you're working as a designer or a front end developer, You need access to these codes. If you're looking at a Photoshop drawing or if you find something on the internet or you're trying to find the perfect color gray and you see it on a photo, you want to grab that. Uh, So SIP is a little app that lets you you press a a shortcut on your keyboard, pull up a magnifying glass, click somewhere, and it automatically copies the color code that you wanted. Yeah, it's it's, it's an absolutely fantastic tool. I I use it a lot too. Um, the, The one warning i would have is make sure that you're in the right color space when you use that if 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 you're into design and you understand color spaces um make sure you're in the right color space because i've used sipped a few times and i and i would um, pick a color and then i would uh, paste the color into <laughs> illustrate i'm like man that doesn't look at all like what i saw on the screen and that's a good point so so make sure you're in the right color space if you don't change any color space settings that's fine sip sip will work out of the box it will work perfect for you but if you start messing around with color spaces make sure you're in the right color space perfect and uh what's one of the other ones in our miscellaneous category that you want to touch on well i'm going to actually move something into the miscellaneous category now (laughs) um just just because we're talking about color spaces and and you know the things that you see i've got a little hardware tool um, it's it's called a color monkey, and it's it's used to to calibrate um, the colors on your screen, um, so that you can so let's say you have three monitors for example, you would use the color calibration tool on all three monitors, and it will adjust the color profile of your monitors so that they are consistent. So that what you see on one screen is the same color that you see on another screen, is the same color that you would see if you print it out. So, you know, you can adjust your printer color profile as well. It's It gets a little bit uh, technical if, if you want it to be, but essentially the, the, the idea is that whatever color you see is the actual color you're working with. And if you're gonna be printing it out, it's gonna be the color that you saw on the screen. So um, it's a nice little calibration tool, and, and it, I've got actually, that in my miscellaneous. I used to use something called the Spider back in the day, S-P-Y-D-E-R. I, oh, yeah. It sounds like it's very similar. Yeah. Um, and one of the things you'll quickly notice is if you if you calibrate your monitor and then you turn it off and on really quickly, you'll one thing that always stood out to me is the grays are just warmer when you have it properly calibrated. It just feels more inviting. Yeah. Um, so yes, I... I'm a huge fan of that. I have noticed if I'm using a display from Apple, um, I started out on PC and I was always calibrated to get it perfect. But once I bought um, a MacBook Pro, I noticed by default, I was actually quite happy with 
the color profile that it gave me. Um, but once you get into a multi-monitor setup again, you want to make sure they're all the same. Yeah. And and that's the only reason that, that I would probably use that tool. If I just had my Mac, I probably wouldn't care. Yeah. Yep. Um, an, another app that I use, and some of these we use, you know, uh, once every couple of weeks or, or something, but others we use every day. And um, I use a noisemaker app to sleep. Uh, I cannot sleep without it now. I'm so stuck on it. I used to have to turn on a fan, but then you can get cold in the middle of the night or <laughs> just dries out your mouth or whatever. Um, so the app I use for a noisemaker is called Noisly, N-O-I-S-L-I. Um, and it's just basically you can turn on white noise, brown noise, pink noise. Um, I just turn on brown noise, set it to about medium um, volume and go to sleep with that. Cool. Uh, do you use a noisemaker or any kind of fan? Uh, not for us, but certainly for our uh, for our little little boy. Um, yes. We've been using um, vacuum noises to to get him to sleep. But um, we've actually over the last uh, few nights we decided no, look we're we're gonna get rid of the vacuum noises and and actually try and get him to the point where he can settle himself. So the last two nights we have have had amazing sleep because he's finally learned to not rely on the vacuum cleaner. That's awesome. That I've never heard of someone using a vacuum cleaner sound to put a kid to sleep. <laughs> um, excellent. Uh, which other miscellaneous item do you want to touch on? I've got a little app that I use on my Mac as well called uh, Little Ipsum. And again, it's probably a bit designy or uh, actually for code as well. But if you want to get a, a lot of dummy text very quickly, a lot of people turn to this ancient Latin script called the Lipsum text. Um, but essentially what little Ipsum does, it's a little tool that sits in your in your toolbar and you pull it down, you say, I want one random word or I want a sentence or I want a paragraph or I want multiple paragraphs and you just select um, what you want and it's, it's all visual so you don't actually have to say, you know, in increase um, any UI. You just kind of drag what you want and then it it copies some lips and text to your to your clipboard, and you can paste it in whatever tool you're working with. and And I, f I find that very um, handy for me. Awesome. Yeah, I've uh, used similar services. That sounds like it's pretty quick to work with. Um, I'll I'm gonna go pick use my last pick for this episode, and I'll I'll let you think of one more that you want to do uh, before we wrap up here. Um, and there's lots of items we're not talking about today because we want to actually uh, finish the episode. Uh, <laughs> but for myself. I'm gonna grab it here. Uh, I've recently, I bought a pair of AirPods a couple of months ago and that's a, a device, it's from Apple. It's these little um, headphones that have no wires whatsoever. So you know, you're getting new Bluetooth headphones um, and I really like them. I like not being tied to my computer. I like that uh, I can pop them right in and they work. Um, the main benefit of the AirPods for me is when I pull them out of their container and put them in my ears, my iPhone quickly recognizes the difference between when they're in and out and connects much faster than most Bluetooth devices I've tried to use in the past. So uh, that's huge for me. I, I'll walk around, I'll listen to podcasts, I'll clean around the house, I'll go to town with my AirPods, and I've, I couldn't see myself going back to cords again. Having a cord connect to my phone and trying to then deal with that when it's in my pocket or getting caught on a door handle. They, yeah, there's. I, I saw a video with a headphone fails. There's this whole comp <laughs> compilation of basically the headphone grabs onto something and it just yanks your whole phone out of your pocket. So Well, you're, uh, you're going to have to get some of that now for the show notes. I'll, I'll have to find that, yes. I, I remember. So I am... Um, I, I don't want to go back to wired headphones, except when you're sitting at the computer, it's okay. Um, except in my case, sometimes I have to jump up and go grab a baby really quickly, and I'm still on a call. So I, I love Bluetooth headphones, and specifically the AirPods. Awesome. Um, excellent. Do you have a final item that you want I, to touch on? I do have a final item that I want to touch on. Um, uh, again, I'm, I'm sorry for the Windows users. Um, it's probably been a <laughs> little bit... Uh, uh, Mac heavy, um, but my last pick is also an app for the Mac, and it's called Magnet. And Magnet is a, a nice little tool for managing the windows on your on your screen. Um, so if you have multiple windows open, you can quickly um, move windows to the side, or move it to the top half of the screen, or bottom half, or full screen it, or move it right right into the center of your screen. Um, 
I find it a very handy tool. I know Joshua, you said you tried it. You couldn't really yep. get you couldn't really get into it. Um, but what I find the the best way to to get a really good experience with it is if you learn the keyboard shortcuts. Um, the keyboard shortcuts make it an absolutely invaluable tool for just quickly positioning things on your screen. Um, I probably primarily use it. Um, to get the full screen functionality. Um, we use a tool at um, work for meetings called Zoom. And whenever I'm in a Zoom Hangout, it, 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 Zoom Hangout, is that right? Whenever I'm in a, in a, <laughs> in a Zoom meeting, um, I like to, to see mostly all the participants and um, all the, the full screen. So it generally Zoom goes full screen. But that makes it really hard for me to get to other windows while I have yes. Zoom open. So what I would do is I would just quickly um, drop out of full screen, hit a, hit a keyboard shortcut on my key, and Magnet will then um, resize the Zoom window to fill my entire screen. And I can quickly open up multiple documents um, in other windows and then just use keyboard shortcuts for Magnet that would move one document to the left, one document to the, the right, and then just quickly um, be able to jump to the meeting, to those documents, just all using keyboard shortcuts. Um, so I find Mag Magnet um, a very valuable little tool. It is a paid app, but um, for me, it was worth getting it. That actually, that's a great point that you bring up here. And um, I just want to address like m many of the applications that I've become the most familiar with or comfortable with have been when I've mastered the, sh the keyboard shortcuts. And uh, Back in the day, I actually bought one of those, um, you know, the keyboard sticker layouts like you put on every key of your <laughs> yeah. of your keyboard. I bought one for all the major shortcuts for Illustrator, or you know, what forty or fifty of them. Yep. And uh, over the period of about a half year or six months to a year, I learned many of the Illustrator shortcuts, which is why I'm so comfortable. And, I, and that's why I have our time switching to another program because I've memorized so many shortcuts. That's right. That's always the difficult thing is um, changing to another tool. Yep. Um, well, excellent. This has been a great little podcast. Uh, I We went over a little bit longer, but I hope that you guys enjoy this. I, I know we definitely did, just kind of swapping stories and talking about tools that we like. Yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed it too. Um, I'm sure that we'll... Well, I'm hoping that we'll get a lot of feedback on this. Um, and please do share your favorite tools with us as well. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too, Joshua. And then enjoy your, um, enjoy your evening and your, your little uh, comedy event you're attending. Perfect. Um, I, just to put a plug out there, there's a guy named Gabriel Iglesias. I'm going to go listen to him do a comedy tour here in my town. So really excited to try that out. Awesome. Enjoy and right. have a good night. Cheers. See ya.